Hello, everyone. This is Barbara Humpton, CEO of Siemens USA. And thanks for tuning in to the Optimistic Outlook podcast. Now, if you're listening to my podcast for the first time, you haven't heard me say this before. But if you have been listening, you've now heard me say this many, many times. When I started this podcast about infrastructure a year ago, I decided to name it the Optimistic Outlook. One, because I'm an optimist. I always have been. Yet also because what's core to my own optimism is the belief that moments of intense disruption create the greatest opportunity to shape the future we want. During the pandemic, we've seen five-year plans for digital transformation get executed in a matter of months. I think we also saw firsthand what I'll call the strength and opportunities of our infrastructure, how it kept us connected to vital services when we needed to stay physically distant, but also the need to make it more sustainable, to build the systems of the future, to make our infrastructure smart enough to evolve digitally like we have in our personal lives. You see, this last decade was about creating the internet of people. This is the decade of people creating the internet of things. And in the process, building a more sustainable, more resilient, more equitable world. And I'll share with you now that over the course of one week this month, from November 7th to 14th, I felt this opportunity to shape the future we want in a powerful way. I felt it from the moment I arrived in Glasgow at COP26 for the United Nations Climate Conference to the moment I stood on the White House lawn looking on as President Biden signed the bipartisan infrastructure bill into law. And instead of bringing on guests today, I thought I'd share a story with you and bring you inside my experience. So first, a little background. COP stands for Conference of the Parties. Thus, COP26 was the 26th annual climate change conference, bringing together nearly every country around the globe around a shared goal, which is putting in place commitments to reduce carbon emissions that advance large-scale climate action. Now, COP26 was a big one. After coming together for decades, the idea behind COP26 was that this meeting had to be a catalyst for aggressive climate action that would put us on a course to do the right thing for future generations. And quite honestly, before I even boarded my flight, I was able to feel an intensity among attendees. They hoped big agreements would be reached, but they weren't sure if it would happen. And I'll share that at Siemens, we too were looking to establish bold carbon reduction targets and frameworks to lay a foundation for a decade of decisive action. This is informed by our own perspective and knowledge that the technology to decarbonize society is here and ready for us to use now. There's nothing to wait for. Take a listen to one of the first conversations I had. All right, believe it or not, even on the way to Glasgow, I've managed to meet somebody with a fascinating perspective. I'm Michelle Wyman. I'm the executive director of the Global Council for Science and the Environment, and we're here to fortify the engagement and use of science in the negotiations. And you told me that this is not your first COP. Not my first COP. I've, I've been to 13 of them, but my last one was in 2010. Um, so I was not in Paris, and I'm really interested to see how this goes this week. I'll break in here to share the last part of what Michelle shared with me. It was kind of hard to hear as flight announcements got started. What Michelle said, as someone who had experienced 13 COP meetings, is this, quote, 
I think the big question we all have is what will the outcomes be that result in concrete action to mitigate greenhouse gas emissions? Yes, even before we got to Glasgow, tension was in the air. And so when I got there, I joined the delegation of the Bay Area Council. Siemens is a member of the group. I then had access to what was called the blue zone, where all the plenary sessions and negotiations were happening. It was like stepping into the United Nations, seeing people from all over the world, many in traditional dress, but all with one focus, to advance climate action. I saw a lot of people exchanging ideas and the organizers had an ever-changing display of topics of interest. So I tried not to overload my calendar. Instead, I saw this as a unique opportunity to just jump in and talk to and learn from as many people as I could. And whenever I could, I tried to record parts of the conversations I was having. So what was I hearing? It was clear to me that people acknowledged the power of an accord. But over and over again, I heard the message that this COP had to be less about commitments, more about action. The idea that, yes, we've made a lot of progress since the 2015 Paris Climate Accord, but have we made enough progress? No, we haven't. We still have a long way to go. And at COP26, I was surrounded by people who were deeply committed to make sure we got there. There were former U.S. presidents and government leaders I'll say I was honored to speak with presidential climate envoy John Kerry, U.S. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg, Speaker Nancy Pelosi. It was great to speak with CEOs like United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby, as Siemens is a member of United's EcoSkies Alliance. This is a group leading an industry switch to sustainable aviation fuel. I also spoke to business leaders driving impactful changes inside their own organizations. I spoke to journalists and I met up with leaders at climate organizations and other non-governmental organizations. At COP, whether you were active in negotiations or a young climate activist delivering a riveting keynote or among the protesters out on the streets, every voice mattered. And I listened and I tried to learn as much as I could. For example, at Siemens, we've been really focused on infrastructure and industry, but what about agriculture? I met up with a former colleague, Allison Taylor. She's now the Global Chief Sustainability Officer for ADM. And Allison pointed out that between 23 and 28% of global emissions are coming from the agriculture sector. The agriculture sector, particularly in the United States, has issues that are related to energy generation because they tend to be located in the Midwest with large processing facilities, thermal energy users. And we are very challenged when it comes to utilization of typical renewable energies. We need something to help us to generate steam for agriculture processing. So that means hydrogen, maybe renewable gas, all those cutting edge technologies that, uh, as John Kerry said today, have not come to scale just yet. Uh, we also have traceability challenges, meaning we're trying to figure out from farm to fork the exact emissions associated with our supply chain. So that's not only what happens on the farm, but how that bean, that kernel of corn, gets stored and transported and processed and then winds up in food. So we need digital strategies to help us to trace those very complicated supply chains so that one day we can put a carbon score on a package of food for our customers. Lots of challenges, lots of fun, maybe even figuring out how to reduce methane emissions from cows. Yeah, in fact, presidential climate envoy Kerry, who Allison referenced, 
shared at COP that meeting goals to reduce methane by 30% by 2030 is the equivalent of taking all cars, trucks, airplanes, and ships worldwide down to zero. Wow, think about that. Think about what we can do combining powerful technology with deep domain knowledge in greenhouse gas intensive sectors. But here's something else I learned at COP. One of the ways we'll make progress on climate action is sharing the stories that demonstrate how to take action. With so much that needs to be done, what are the most effective actions we can take as individuals? I was wondering about that, and that's when I bumped into Jamie Clark. He's the executive director of Climate Outreach, which focuses on deepening public engagement with climate change. It's been fantastic walking with you between venues here, and I've learned so much. But what's the most important thing coming out of COP26 for you? For me, the importance is that everyone has a voice in COP and the uh, addressing climate change. But that voice needs to have a set of stories that are true to your identity and your values. So if you work for a company, you'll often feel like this might be an environmental issue that's far away and it's for someone else. But actually, the reality is you'll have a massive impact on your community, your day-to-day work. So we need to create stories and images that you can relate to and your colleagues can relate to so that we can make the solutions that will ultimately transform Uh, our approach to climate change. Thank you so much for the advice and counsel. I plan to put this to work. Okay, (laughs) lovely to talk to you. Later, I heard something similar from Malika Kapoor, Deputy Global Editor for Bloomberg Live. Storytelling can make any topic as mundane or as dry as it may seem, but if you tell it in the form of a good story, you will be able to motivate people. That's what we hope to do in 2015 when we became the first industrial company to commit to carbon neutrality by 2030. We didn't have all the answers at the time, but we hoped that learning along the way, sharing our story would inspire customers to move in the same direction and move fast. We've since upped our commitment to a net zero carbon footprint and have moved past the halfway mark on our original goal. And quite truthfully, the hard work is now ahead of us. We acknowledge that and we'll continue to share our story to demonstrate to customers that technology can not only support decarbonization, it can even help customers do things faster and more competitively. Now, in addition to meeting Climate Envoy Kerry, I got to hear his fireside chat with Bloomberg News' editor-in-chief, and he mentioned he had been up until 3 a.m. the night prior negotiating on the bilateral Chinese agreement. And that brings me back to Michelle's original question in the airport. Did we get the agreements supporting concrete action? And I believe we did. In particular, we saw the United States and China agree to work together to accelerate climate action. Two countries that represent more than 40% of global carbon emissions. And a perspective we have at Siemens is that the industry decarbonization we lead in these regions can be scaled and replicated worldwide. But again, my big takeaway is this. These government targets are really important. They basically press the accelerator for climate action even closer to the floor. But ultimately, it's up to all of us, individually and collectively, to stay focused and take action. As Climate Envoy Kerry said, the key to Glasgow is not the words here. It's the promises and the goals that have been made and the implementation. And we're going to become an implementation force in the aftermath of this meeting. I also remember something I heard Michael Liebrich say. He's the founder of Bloomberg New Energy Finance. 
We must never be complacent. We must never say, oh yeah, climate change, we had a good cop, we're on it, don't worry. Because we are absolutely not there yet. We are not there yet. We are making, uh, we've moved away from the, the years of inaction, the years of blocking, the years of mocking solutions for being subscale, but we are absolutely not yet on the motorway. We may be on the slip road, but we're not on the highway. But I think we'll get there, Michael. I really do. And we'll stay focused and keep the implementation force running strong. And my hope is that at next year's COP in Egypt, we'll be on that highway moving faster. Here's Hanin Shaheen from Egypt, who's a board member of Climate Action Network Arab World. We are so, so thrilled and happy that the COP next year is going to be hosted in Egypt. We are looking forward to it. It's, it's like, a, like a dream came true for our Egyptian and civil society to host such an amazing climate event. It's really important now to bring everyone to Egypt to finalize the Paris Agreement and to achieve what we have been working on for like very, very long time. Okay, so let me close with a quick story. I had left for Glasgow just after the bipartisan infrastructure bill had been passed in the House. And as I was heading home, I learned that I would be visiting the White House to see the bill signed into law. I had an opportunity to do some media appearances outside the White House prior to the event, and we'll link to those in the show notes. And the point I made, which I heard throughout the day, is that the bipartisan infrastructure law really is historic. This is setting the stage for decarbonizing the economy, boosting U.S. manufacturing, creating jobs, and increasing equity. You know, for years, there's been discussion about America's crumbling infrastructure and what to do about it. The question has always been, what if? Instead of just maintaining, what if we really invested in the next century of American growth and leadership? We now have the opportunity to answer this question as we invest not only in roads and bridges, but in rail, electric vehicle infrastructure, the power grid, and manufacturing technology. On the White House lawn, I stood shoulder to shoulder with lawmakers from both sides of the aisle, with union leaders and skilled workers, with cabinet leaders, mayors and governors, and other people from the private sector. And I thought to myself, you know, this is what it's all about. We're bringing people together to build for a changing tomorrow. The last thing I'll say is that as we endeavor to reinvent our infrastructure and accelerate climate action, we do need the federal investment in research and development and projects to jumpstart the process. That part is essential. But only time will tell what private enterprise is able to innovate. When I had the privilege to work on the Global Positioning System, GPS, in the 1990s, it was a tool for the Air Force. People literally said, well, who's ever going to use this? Now we all use it in our daily lives. It's everywhere. Things are on the horizon we can't even imagine yet. And I know already that this law will make our climate implementation force even more powerful. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or to the Siemens YouTube channel. And for show notes and more, go to Siemens.com optimist.